We're in Luke chapter 5 today, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Last week we looked at the call of Peter, and uh, today we move to another section. Uh, This whole section, chapter 5, kind of has a pattern to it. You have the calling of Simon, who comes and he basically says, why are you calling me? I'm I'm a sinner. Go away from me. Then we have the healing of this man who says, I am unclean. Then we have the healing of someone who needs also forgiveness. Jesus forgives sin. And then Jesus calls someone who is unclean to follow him, a tax collector, Levi. And the whole, this whole section is kind of bracketed by Jesus saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This sets up Jesus' whole ministry and how Luke is going to tell the story of Jesus' ministry is through the lens of this passage from Isaiah. And we'll see aspects of that fulfilled over and over. Near the end of chapter 5, Jesus states quite clearly to those who are asking, why do you hang out with such lowlifes and sinners? Jesus answers them, verse 31 of chapter 5, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Later on, John the Baptist is going to have a bit of an issue with what Jesus is doing. He's like, are you the Messiah? Should we be looking for somebody else? Because I, here I am in a Roman prison. You're supposed to be the Messiah. This is not working out the way that we thought it would. And Jesus tells him, hey, go back and tell John this, verse 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so everything in this opening section of Luke's gospel is pushing us into this reality that Jesus is working in a way that was not expected, that things are upside down, inside out, and a little bit backwards. And as Jesus tells Peter in one of the first, uh, the uh, episode, I think, in in The Chosen, where, where Levi is now part of the disciples, Peter's really struggling with this, and Jesus just says, well, get used to different, because I'm doing things differently. We're looking at this chapter today in this little story of a man with leprosy. And so as we hear about this, let's hear how Jesus reaches out and touches people in their lives. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. To really kind of understand what's going on here and why this is such a serious little situation, we have to understand Leviticus 13 and 14. One of the longest discussions in the book of Leviticus has to do with infectious skin diseases. Weird, isn't it? Like this whole book of like sacrifices and all this other thing, right smack in the middle, there's this whole section on skin diseases. And I'll give you the Coles Notes version. Basically, if you had a, a skin disease of some kind, whether it was eczema or ringworm or some, there, there's a lot of different things. It's, it's not leprosy as we understand it today. That's uh, Hansen's disease that, that really, we don't have any uh, uh, archeological or, or, or written evidence of this kind of thing uh, in the ancient Near East until after Alexander the Great in 333 BC. Uh, but, and all of the descriptions, in, especially in Leviticus 13, don't really match up with Hansen's disease or leprosy as we know it today. It's, it's a, a different thing. These are just a lot of generic skin diseases that may or may not be infectious. And so within the, 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 uh, the situation there, if, if you had some sort of rash or flaking skin or something, then you would go to the priest and he would examine you and then he would put you into isolation for a week, and then you'd come back and he'd check again, and if things weren't quite uh, healed up yet, then maybe another week of isolation. And then if you were basically unclean, then you had to you know, go through a whole ritual thing. If things cleared up, you had to go through a whole ritual washing and all sorts of stuff, and Leviticus 14 covers that. You had to wash everything, you had to social distance, you had to mask up, you had to be tested, you had to sanitize things. I, I read that Leviticus 13 and I went, wow, we just lived that for a couple of years. I think it's, it's all there. <laughs> it's like a public health officer. The priest was acting as public health officer for Israel in this. But the key thing comes out is if, if, if a person is got this infectious, some sort of infectious and, and potentially contagious skin disease, then there is very, very clear instruction as to how they then have to live after that. Leviticus 14 says, if a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald and he is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has a baldness of the forehead and he is clean. Oh, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> That's just my favorite verse in the whole Bible, though. <sighs> That's like my life verse right there. It's like, this is the most important text we will ever read. <sighs> uh, a few verses down, sorry. Uh, 45 to 46. 
The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain clean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Wow. You definitely don't want to live with that. So the first verse in our passage today, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along. He's not even supposed to be there. Like, right, right away, he's in the town. This guy's not even supposed to be in town. He is covered with leprosy. When he sees Jesus, he falls with his face to the ground. Now, in Jesus' day, the rabbinic law basically said you had to be 50 cubits away from anybody. Like, remember two meters? 50 cubits. Cubit is uh, arm to, uh, here to fingertip. 50 of those. That's the social distancing thing for leprosy. I didn't measure it out, but I'm pretty sure I'd be in the parking lot somewhere. Or about 100 paces. It's a lot of distance. So this guy, as soon as he sees Jesus, falls with his face to the ground. Luke doesn't tell us that he's close. Luke doesn't say that he fell at his feet. He just says he falls on his face and cries out, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Just, just visualize this for a moment. This is kind of in the way, but... If you fall with your face to the ground, you, you, he sees Jesus, maybe at a distance, and he falls with his face to the ground and simply says, if you're willing, you can make me clean, Lord. And it doesn't say that he got up. His face is to the ground. And what is the first thing that he is going to experience from Jesus? Luke uses more words than is necessary. It's totally superfluous. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. He didn't see it coming. Nobody's supposed to touch this guy. He's supposed to be 100 feet away. Did he hear the footsteps on the gravel coming towards him? Jesus isn't standing over him like this. He's down like this. He doesn't have to shout it out. He can whisper this. Yeah, I'm willing. Be clean. What an amazing moment. It bugged me so much that a lot of commentators said the first thing Jesus does is he says, I'm willing to be clean. I'm like, no, he didn't. Slow down, read the text. He reached out his hand and he touched him. 
Now just imagine you have been living, whatever family you had, you haven't been able to see. Nobody is supposed to touch you. You are to live in complete isolation from everybody else. And who knows how long this man had been apart from people and the first thing that he receives is a touch. Could you just imagine the emotional moment as he feels the pressure of Jesus' hand on his shoulder, on his head? Because to touch someone that's unclean would make you immediately ritually unclean. But in Jesus' case, his holiness overcomes all uncleanness. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has walked in sin and disobedience to God, but God laid on him the iniquity of us all so that his holiness cannot be tarnished by whatever uncleanness we have, but his holiness and his sacrifice on the cross takes that uncleanness and does away with it so that we can encounter his holiness and righteousness and it can be transferred to us. And this is totally backwards from everything in Leviticus. You read in Haggai, Haggai has, has a little to do with the priest. And he said, if someone is carrying uh, a piece of... Uh, uh, something unclean and they touch something else and that something else touches something else, does it become unclean to the, like the third degree? Like it transfers? Yes, yes, it's all unclean. Well, if somebody's carrying a holy, uh, something that's been set apart for God in his robe, does the robe become holy? Yes. Well, if that robe touches somebody else, does it become then holy? Does it transfer? And the answer is no. Holiness does not transfer unless there's direct contact with that which is holy. Uncleanness transfers down the line. Jesus touches this man and he says, be clean. In Greek, it's two words. Thelo, present, active. I am willing. I am always willing. I am continually willing. And then one word, be clean. The word that we get cathartic from. Cleansing. In the past tense, meaning it's a completed action right now. It's done. You are clean. And Jesus says it all backwards because he touches this man before he's clean. Then he pronounces that he is clean. But if you go back to Leviticus 14, uh, 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 cleanliness, this, this uh, ceremonial cleanliness could only be declared after a long process of restoration. In Levit Leviticus 14, if, if you're healed from your disease, and this is what Jesus then tells him to do, go to the priest, show yourself to the priest. The priest would examine him, and then they'd take two birds, and one bird they would like wring its neck over a, in, in a pot with water in it, and then they'd dip a live bird in it. They'd let the live bird go free to show that it's, it's been clean and released, and the other blood they'd sprinkle on them, and there's oil, and there's all this ceremony. And then there's a week of waiting. And everything has to happen in order for him to be restored to community. But Jesus does it ahead of time, but he still says, go back 
show yourself to the priest. This man, last week we talked about the nature of faith. Faith is the essence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. Faith is believing that God exists and he reward those who earnestly seek him, Hebrews 11.6. Jesus, this man has active faith before he receives anything from Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. There is no question about Jesus' power or his authority to do this. His belief, his faith is already active. He knows that Jesus can do this. He has, in a sense, already decided that Jesus is able. In The the Hobbit, there's this one scene where, where Bilbo is going down the tunnel to check out to see if the dragon is still there. And he gets to one point, and his companion, uh, Balin, who is with him, he walks down to a certain point and says, ah, that's as far as I can go. I'm not going any further. And then Bilbo goes on alone, and Tolkien says, the real battle was fought in the tunnel alone. When Bilbo decided, I'm going to go through with this. Before he sees the danger, before he sees... Anything before he experiences the dragon itself or, or, or the marvel of the treasure, he says, I'm going to follow through with this. He fought the real battle. The real battle was fought alone in the tunnel before he saw the vast danger. And similarly, this man knows that Jesus can do something marvelous in his life. And this is the first time he's meeting him, but he's heard the stories already. Jesus touches him and he says two words to this man. And the leprosy left him. The leprosy left him. Whatever skin condition he had was gone. And now you, 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 you would think, because you're like in, in, in most of these healing stories, this is kind of the end of the story. Jesus said, eh, go back home, tell everybody what God's done for you. And, or don't tell anybody what God's done for you, but they tell anyway. Right? In this case, this is very unique. Jesus orders him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why does Jesus do this? Well, if you think about it, there's no legal process for if a blind man receives his sight or a lame man walks or a crippled uh, man uh, is, is raised to life or a man with a withered hand is healed or even if the dead are raised back to life. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in the law to say, well, if, if your condition clears up, here's the, pro- here's the process. But for a skin disease, there is. Very, very specific, a whole chapter in Leviticus. Now, what is going on here? Well, first of all, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Because this is such a social and community-related issue, it needs a social and community-related solution and resolution. 
three reasons uh, for, for why Jesus would do this and would require this man to follow through on this. First is it's practical. To be restored to community, he needed a clean bill of health from the priest. And this doesn't mean he has to go to Jerusalem. Uh, uh, priests served all over the place. So in order to be restored to community, he basically had to go, like we said earlier in Leviticus, uh, the priest is like the public health officer. He needs a clean bill of health from the authorities. He needs a negative test. So he has to go through this week long, week plus a day, eight days of cleansing. And only at the end of the process is he declared clean and reintroduced into the community. So first of all, it's practical. It's restoration of the community. And it also gives him a whole week to reflect on the grace of God that he has received. It really causes him to step back and go, what just happened? Secondly, there's a prophetic reason behind this. We've already mentioned this. Jesus is enacting Isaiah. And he quotes that in Luke chapter 4, and then he quotes it to John the Baptist later in chapter 7 of verse 22. And what Jesus is showing here is that the ravages of sin are being dealt with in and through his work. All of these things that, that people are, have been experiencing, the, the shame and, and the, the dis, disconnection from community and the pain of it all is being healed through the work of Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic move. It's practical. And it's also celebratory because this whole thing in Leviticus 14 is a celebration. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person. On the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. Interestingly, all through 13 and 14, the priest only looks. He never touches. The priest only, it's all visual. Jesus is very physical. Then in the case of leprous disease, if it's healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood. And they go through all this stuff and he shall pronounce them clean. They go through things like sprinkle this seven times, do this seven times. It's, it's all completeness and it's over seven days. And then on the eighth day, the eighth day, verse 10 in Leviticus 14, on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering and three-tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed, and one log of oil, whatever that is, and the priest who cleanses him shall see the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and they have a party, basically. It's a two-week process, or at least eight days, and there's a celebration and you go, why does the guy have to, like, he's got to shave his hair, shave his eyebrows, shave his beard, like, basically become like a newborn baby. It's, it's a picture of new birth because he's being welcomed back into community. He's welcomed back into fellowship. It's like you're newborn. You've experienced a new birth coming back into community. And that's what Leviticus 14 pictures 
Go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Because what Jesus has done needs to be examined by the authorities and then confirmed. This is a restoration of community and family and worship. It's not just one guy not having a skin disease anymore. There's a whole lot more to it. It's about family and it's about connection. Walter uh, Bellinger in the NIV Biblical Commentary on Leviticus says this about Leviticus 10 to 20, or, or 14, 10 to 20. Hope is affected. Cleansing is complete. The person's relationship with God in the faith community has been fractured by impurity, and now atonement is accomplished. Atonement is accomplished. There's things about atonement in here and a restoration of all relationships. And that's what's happening, and that's what Jesus is leading this man to. Yet news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And we'll come back to that in a few weeks. What do we take away from the story of Jesus healing a leper, cleansing him, sending him off to be examined, reintroduced into the community? I basically had two thoughts around this, and this is the difference between religion and the gospel. Well, this is just, just the main thought. There's a difference here between religion and gospel. This man lived for we don't know how long under religion because religion can only identify the problem. It can't provide a cure. The text of Leviticus is great at saying this is exactly what's wrong with you. This is what religion does. Religion can only see what's wrong. It can't see a solution and it cannot affect a solution. Every religion says, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, and do this, do this, do this, do this, and maybe it'll get better. The gospel says, there's a reality here that, we will, uh, that Jesus creates. Religion can only confirm or react to reality. The gospel creates a new reality. Religion can't create or correct what's wrong with us. The gospel creates a reality that we cannot. And I come back to this over and over again because it's such a great summary of the gospel. For you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. You, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. The gospel creates a reality we cannot. The gospel is that the creator of the universe reaches out and touches us in our uncleanness before he speaks healing. And he takes on our uncleanness and defeats it completely. 
For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. But God laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's tempting in this passage to cast ourselves in one of the roles, right? Every time you read a story, you kind of picture yourself involved in the story. A good story sucks you in so that you resonate with one of the characters. And often we want to be the hero in the story. So we say, oh, we need to go and touch the lepers and, and all this other stuff. And actually, that's, we can't clean people. Only Jesus can clean people. We're all the leper in this story. That's what Isaiah is telling us. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. We're going to define life the way we want to define life. Whether we're really religious and going to church all the time or whether we're living like hell. We want to control our lives and the lives of those around us. And that's leprosy. And Jesus needs to touch us and release us from that. We're all lepers that need the touch of Jesus to bring about the cleansing that only he can bring. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what I see coming out of this text for us today. Religion can only confirm or react to the reality of our brokenness. Paul said as much in Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, 7 to 13. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Religion can only confirm the reality that you're spiritually dead apart from the work of Christ. It cannot create the life. That's why Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is so crucial. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ. The gospel is that the creator of the universe reaches out and touches us in our uncleanness. As we cry out to him, I am unclean. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I can't do it. And he takes our uncleanness on himself and then destroys it completely on the cross that sought to destroy him. He took our infirmities 
He bore our diseases, and by his wounds we are healed. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning as lepers needing a touch of your healing hand. Isaiah was speaking to the people of Israel, people of the book, people of the temple, people who offered sacrifices, people who did religion, and said all of us, all of us have walked away from our Creator. And His intention and His purpose for our lives, and we need His touch. And His touch will take that uncleanness and that brokenness and that sinfulness from our lives and will nail it to the cross of Christ but in that it nails Christ to the cross. And so, Lord, we have to come to you. We can't stand back. We can't just try harder, work harder, be better, do the right behaviors. We need your touch. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. There's nothing I can do to make myself clean. There's nothing I can do that will make me acceptable in the eyes of God. Jesus does all of that for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of Christ and we can be clothed in that righteousness of Christ and we can stand before the throne of grace with great confidence, not because of how I've defined my life, but because how Jesus has taken all of the horrid stuff in my heart and has nailed it to the cross and has paid the price and has shed his blood for that sin so that I may stand with confidence and come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in my time of need. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. For all our works of righteousness are but filthy rags in his sight. We need the touch of Jesus if we're going to be free from the pressure to perform and the shame of isolation, we need the touch of Jesus to restore us, to heal us, to set us free, and to declare over our lives, you are clean. You are clean. You are clean. because I've taken your sin. And he takes our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to confess that, we have to repent, we have to turn away from the sin. Let us run with perseverance the mar race marked out for us, casting off the sin that so easily entangles weighs us down. We have a part to play. We've got to come on our faces before Christ and humble ourselves. Say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And we know you're willing and you will make us clean. 
but we also have to participate in that. That's a surrender of our lives and a surrender of our will and a surrender to the reality and the truth that God speaks over our lives. Your whole identity surrendered to Jesus Christ so that he can define who you are and when he does that, you will find more meaning and purpose and belonging than you ever thought possible. We find in him the healing we need and the community we long for because he reaches down and touches us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Help us to surrender more and more to the healing, cleansing work that you're doing in our lives. Jesus' name. Amen. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit Free.
But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He presents us in the presence of his glory with great joy. His great joy in presenting us to the Father. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.